How you doing everyone? Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Ready to Record from Blue Girl Studios. My name is Daniel, the D3 Cohen. I am your host, and I am speaking to you from Blue Girl Productions Worldwide Headquarters and Studios here in my garage. Now, today is a special one because today we are continuing our interview with Adam Thies. It is part two, and it's going to be a damn good time, as well as the final installment of Gear Talk and Music from Blue Girl with the AKG C44 and Podcaster Essentials Pack. So, without further ado, here's part two with Adam Thies. We were on the topic of Lewis and cello and upright bass and uh, upright in Cosa Nostra, and Lewis is playing, I believe we were cut off somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah, so we we used upright on one one track on it, um, on this, the record we put out last year, and it the, the idea for the record was to really just capture the band and not to not really go for one of those albums where you get way deep into production and guests and you know i think most groups kind of pendulum back and forth between those two concepts a lot and a lot of bands do so this was the one that was like let's just capture the band it's our first album first like full album so let's do that but there was a few guests that we had come in and that was one of them was sasha jacobson on upright bass um and yeah it really lit the track up in the song achilles heel and um, I kind of in my dream world, I would have Sasha on call to play on various songs in our set in Cosa. Um, right. But, you know, it, like that would be definitely more logistic craziness. And it's kind of what makes it special is Lewis and I trading the quote bass duties. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. I'll play bass lines on trombone if it's like just for a little bit for you know a few bars i'm not a big fan of that sound for to cover like the low notes but it works sometimes a lot of times i'll play electric and and then you know he the cello is a very versatile instrument and lewis also plays trombone and electric bass as well so that's something we've dabbled with um you know incorporating those elements but the the more i've done the multi-instrumental things with other musicians who are multi-instrumentalists it's I'm at the point where I just really want it to make sense if people are going to be bringing these extra instruments and bringing having them bring a trombone or asking the guitar player to bring a soprano sax for like <laughs> one part of one song. It's like if you're on Jimmy Fallon or something like that. OK, cool. But, you know, we're playing like when we're gigging, like most of the place we're playing are, you know, it's just got to make sense. <laughs> Studio I... is a great time to experiment with that stuff, though. No, I completely agree. I mean, uh, we we had talked about Carlos Aguirre, and, and uh, I I brought in. Um, he'd asked me to play on this track, uh, which is the fourth track on the album called "Legendary," and he asked me to bring in uh, some horns, and I ended up bringing in my sax player, and he he's a doubler on alto and Barry. He also plays C melody saxophone, which is kind of sort of out of the way, and not many mm-hmm. people play anymore, but. Um, I had him in on Alto and Barry and, you know, most of the time at gigs, even though we have two Alto players, he'll end up playing, uh, Alto. Um, so it was kind of, it, it was kind of this rare occasion where he could bring in both, but I don't think, I don't think any time, uh, we'd go out and gig, he would necessarily bring both. 
think the exception to that rule of of at least in the in the tiny gigs that we play is if I'm the only keyboard player on, on a gig and I have to sort of jockey between keys and bass or my uh, or my keyboard player when he's home he'll play some lines on clarinet um, and then I'll switch over to his keyboard but um, doubling and things like that are interesting I've I've been curious because I know you as a trombonist but also you know on the gigs where you can't get a sousaphone player or a tuba player you're you're a tuba player or you know I, I, I was working with raw tracks with carlos and you played trumpet on on one of them um how much do you do uh doubling or going to gigs on on instruments that aren't trombone or electric bass uh well gig wise not very much um there's just so many great musicians around that sure. for me to bring a trumpet or a, a, I was going to say guitar, but I, I have done guitar, even though I'm not a great guitar player at all. Pretty poor guitar player, actually. Um, I just don't do it that much. Uh, I guess I'll bring some funny, weird little instruments. Um, nothing's coming to mind. Well, you play alto bone, right? Yeah, like that. I I'm not going to bring that, really. Um, but like this, the soil dove, this, um, kind of circus jazz show that we did, um, up, up, you know, through 2019 every year, we do like a run of it. We did a three month run in 2019 was the longest one we, we had done. So we wrote jazz mafia did all the music for it. I wrote a lot of it. Um, and a lot of my collaborators and it just needed some guitar, but it didn't really warrant hiring a guitar player for the whole show. And so I was like, Oh yeah, well I could handle these parts. So in something like that, it, it kind of made sense, but usually the guitar is just something I do at home. Uh, trumpet once in a blue moon, I I'll bring it out to a gig. There's the shotgun thing we have coming up a lot. Uh, one of our live streams for jazz mafia Tuesdays is shotguns playing. We have this new tune where the, you know, like, you're trying to figure out how to perform this version of a song that that someone came up with live and it's like well I mean, we could use tracks or you know, we can do some looping and i was like well if i played trumpet on this i could play the the horn part and i could play the the bass line with my other hand because like with trumpet you can play one-handed trombone you can't right. unless you have some like crazy rig set up or something so so i i started messing around but it's like not it, once again, I just, I need to focus. I find if I have like too many instruments and things in my way, I, I don't feel comfortable on stage. Um, I, I use a synth a lot. I like having be able to play synth bass on certain things, especially in the hip hop world. It really makes a difference. Um, even though I you know use octave pedals a lot on my bass to get like these electronic low sub sounds, there's something about the way if you're playing it on a synth, you play it different. So I, I like that a lot. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. I think it just depends, but not really having gigged much in the past year. It's also like kind of hard to even remember. <laughs> like, right. But I know right. I definitely try to like not be that guy that's like, oh, there's Adam. He's bringing all these instruments and like can't really play that well on any, you know, he's like trying to spread himself too thin. And plus grass, like you, for me, I have to have time to warm up. And so if you're bringing like a trombone and a trumpet and a tuba, it's like you're really going to have time to get a good warm up or 
whatever. <laughs> Some right. people could just do it, you know. I hate those <laughs> well, you know, that, that's why that's why that's why Ed Ivey ran away to his hometown in Texas because we all knew that he could play all of them without without much warm up. Yeah. Um, uh, we we did talk about uh, or, or I brought up alto bone briefly, and um, I'm curious because I know you play with a lot of sax doublers and you know trumpets often double on flugel. Um, do you see a merit in in trombone doubling? I mean, alto is kind of a, a niche trombone, especially nowadays. It's not very much used. But do you see like a, 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 a an interesting niche, or do you ever find yourself going, oh, maybe it might be good to double on bass trombone or trigger trombone instead of a straight tenor, or maybe this requires an alto part for a couple of songs. Is there ever a, a time where you look at that similar to, you know, a tenor player bringing an alto or a flute, or a trumpet player bringing a, you know, a flute? Um, not really. I mean, I, I respect people, like brass experts who get that deep into it and really care, or... It's sometimes arrangers will be like, oh, do you have a bass band? And it's like, you know, they went to school and learned all the different instruments and like, this is their chance. And, and what, you're not going to have a bass trombone? You know, you're a brass guy. So there, I, I get it. But at the same time, like a lot, nine times out of 10, I'll get charts for someone wants me to record. And you know, when they've done the charts and they want you to like record the tracks, um, there'll be a bass trombone part and I'll either like pick up the tuba and play that passage on tuba or you know play the whole thing on tuba it's a different sound uh, but usually what i'll do is i'll just play it on trombone and like fake the, the low notes you know like just flip them down uh, or play you know just punch it in you know it's like kind of hard to like, play it all right uh, but you know, no one ever really notices not to say that it's not it, it, i did have a bass bone and it's a really really cool sound when you have a real bass trombone player playing it but like anything it's dig into it it's kind of like when we're talking about upright bass it's like you can do some surface things that are cool but to really play it in that low register on a bass trombone and to have it crack like kind of sound like a berry sax the way a berry really rumble right you gotta be serious about it so i actually sold my bass bone because i was like i just don't i don't have time to be doing all these different instruments and doing them on that level but um, I mean, I wish I had, you know, there was like a $5,000 horn that I wasn't using, so I sold it. I wish I had one just sitting here and could play it. You know, I'd probably use it like once a month or something on, on the track. Um, but things like the alto tr trombone, um, and not really. I, the one I have probably doesn't isn't that great. So to me, I start playing, I'm like, it basically sounds like my trombone, but just thinner. And I can't really play that much higher on it. So it's hmm. like, well, I'll just think I'll play that on the tenor bone. I'll play it better. The thing I did get recently, just going down the brass nerd rabbit hole, is I um I've always really liked the sound of euphoniums and baritones for certain things, not like for, right. for a lot of stuff. In the like, not not so much um like funk and stuff where you gotta really play with an edge, but you know more symphonic and acoustic and chamber music. Uh, I really do like the sound of them, and so I started looking. I found a decent um baritone horn and um that's been fun i've been digging because you can really get a warmer rounder tone with it and um and having valves you have more precision so like playing around that lower register it's the same low register as a regular tenor trombone but you can make smoother transitions and 
things. Sometimes recording on like a singer songwriter track where it's really exposed and they want you to play a lot of long notes and be you know moving around in the lower register like that's hard to do on on a slide trombone sometimes. So for that it's cool, but you know what? If you don't have a baritone or you don't have a a two like you can make it work and and so it it whatever whatever works right right. Um, now I I want to jump from from the playing ideas to recording. Um, you've been doing a lot of, uh, I guess, mobile recording. Um, you were doing some stuff in what the port of Oakland recording big bands and you've been doing a lot of outdoor recording. Um, how has that been? Uh, how, how have you been doing that? What, was there a big change? Is, do you have to deal with a lot of wind noise? I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> I've not really done enough uh, outdoor recording. so. Yeah, um, we got really lucky on some of the days that we recorded. But um, yeah, it's interesting. When we started uh, in the pandemic, you know, we started doing a lot of remote things. And um, we were like, oh, we're going to have to get start live streaming a lot. And like, the, you know, just, no one really know what, knew what the world was going to look like. Right. As a lot of musicians I knew were like, uh, you know, I'm just going to chill out and like watch a bunch of Netflix. And, like we'll be back to work in a, f- you know, f- a few months. And and I was like, you could be right, but I'm not, I'm not willing to take that risk. <laughs> you know, so you just, you just burn two months waiting and then you find out, oh, it's going to go on for another year and then figure out your career. So we, we just jumped in. And, and like I said, we really enjoyed a lot of these, this pivoting that we did. So, um, uh, dis you know distance performing was was being talked about and so we started thinking about well what works well outdoors not strings um and like what what works well um you know like if you're outdoors where maybe you don't have electricity and brass so we pretty early on jumped into doing stuff with our brass band just because it was practical the um our brass our brass band or bands like we've experimented with a lot of different brass band instrumentations through the years. Um, it's always been a little bit like the outcast ensemble of jazz mafia. Like we, it tends to be a group that we would just do like private events with and behind the scenes stuff and never really put it out there as like something, you know, put the work into like record a great album or whatever. It was just, I don't know. We were always busy doing these other things with with the brass band, and so it felt really good to sit down and make some like new content for that group and um, new arrangements and start like collaborating more with people and really putting our best foot forward with with the group. And it's really again, you know, thanks to the pandemic and um, the liberation, liberating feeling of being able to just drive to Tilden Park. I have a little like wagon. Um, you know, like one of those like, festival wagon things that people haul around things in. And I just like have that and my horn and it all fits in the wagon. And just like roll it up the hill to like wherever we're recording. And I hardly have to bring anything, you know, and just pull it out of the case, play the horn, play a few songs and go. It's just so easy. And that part of the music making and like con- making videos and stuff, that was definitely not a part of anything I had done outside of like maybe a gig you played where they someone filmed it and did a good job and you're like wow i didn't know you were filming like and that didn't even happen very often right because sure. <laughs> who does like a great job filming and like doesn't charge you an arm and a leg or whatever so this was a liberating experience and so we we're using the 360 gopro which leaves a lot to be desired but 
it also was something that was resonating with people because you could kind of experience a live performance, um, you know, like these site specific live performances in an interesting way with it. And so we, we felt like, okay, this is something that people are interested in. We're enjoying it. So we, you know, would do one like once a month or, or something like that, or every few weeks we're recording that way. And f I'm really into like architecture and outdoor spaces and things. And so Shana, my wife, um, her and I would go scouting for different places to film. Um, the first one we did was not the most creative location. This is like, cause we didn't even know if this was going to work. So the first one we did was in our driveway, basically like a, a, a neighbor, we kind of share a compound. They have like this awkward, weird driveway. That's just really big cement driveway. Like no one ever kind of really understand why they, why the per people who lived there before them made this driveway, but it worked great for a 10 piece brass band all distanced, <laughs> <laughs> Sure, you know, like, um, so, so we did that and that was, that video did pretty well. And so we kept going and said, like, well, let's start doing interesting locations. Cause we're just using an iPhone and you know, we could film anywhere or it was the go, the GoPro 360 and an iPhone. And, um, so we would just scout around and people would, we'd crowdsource ideas on Facebook. And like one of the really think good things about Facebook is you could do stuff like that and actually benefit instead of just like seeing spam fake news and stuff. So that, that felt good to involve the community in it. And um, yeah, we, we would go to Redwoods and a lot of times the venue, like when we found this um, in, uh, uh, I can't remember which park it is. I think it's Redwood Park. Um, there's this natural Redwood amphitheater. This is a big circle of a Redwood Grove with like space in the middle. It's like a hundred feet across. And um, when, we, when Shana found that, I started thinking about it and right away the kind of music we would play there it kind of dictated a different type of music than what we'd been doing in the other videos less party vibe street parade up up tempo hip-hop whatever it was like a more somber pensive thought-provoking thoughtful type thing and so we did a, a specialized almost like a sound healing music one there and so on and so forth you know the different places we found kind of inspired different different things and different ways of performing or different choreography or like whatever and that's cool because that doesn't happen when you're doing clubs as much i mean you might have a weird setup because there's you can't fit on the stage so you're gonna put the trombones on the floor but that's something you're not stoked about you're not like oh sweet it, these were all things that's like oh cool let's let's alter let's let's alter what we're doing to fit this in this way and right. it'll lead, you know add to the experience so that, I mean, that was definitely one of the things that just like made us all so much more inspired about what we were doing this, this last year it was just going with the flow and getting out into nature and, and then performing as well. We would do these like neighborhood concert, kind of like cul-de-sac concerts where we wouldn't advertise it because, you know, you're, you don't want a bunch of people showing up too many people and having it be unsafe. And so we would just kind of find neighborhoods, you know, a lot of musicians were doing this. And um, the neighbors would promote within their their neighbor circle, their pods and stuff. And that was also um, like as, as energized as we were about this new way of making videos. It was a new way of performing concerts that uh, I like wouldn't trade a club, you know, being in a, in a club for a lot of the times, you know, being out in a beautiful early, uh, early evening and on a warm summer day in a beautiful like backyard someone has a backyard that like opens up to the street uh, like a back street or something and 
doing music in that way and for audiences that have been starved for music and they're so so attentive um that that is like man that was not something that was happening a ton um before the pandemic so a little bit of a reset there too right i mean i i can think of a gig that i went to uh was right before new year's it was i think and i think it was like right right in between holidays so before christmas after hanukkah it was somewhere around there i think i don't remember too terribly well but i went to see will maggot and chris hoog they had a um it was chris's gig but will was playing on it and it was i don't know how well you know kind of that inner richmond uh sort of vibe but it was over on 10th and lake yeah and it was and i and it's you know right in that in that kind of last little block where it's not necessarily a block and it goes right into the park um and so there was a decent crowd there and they had it set up with um with the uh, uh tenants of of a building and they got power from from somebody's garage and they were playing outside the garage and everybody was socially distant and there was like a fairly decent sized crowd but it was you know still very safe because everybody was masked up and because the park was just right there people were flowing out into the park and could remain socially distanced and still hear it um and it was a it was a cool uh it was a cool way of seeing a gig um and having been starved of live music for x amount of months you know it was very obvious that these people were very happy to be there yeah um so it's 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 definitely interesting to to see stuff like that um yeah when it comes to recording the audio um for for an outdoor event um or or in your case a a lot of these outdoor filming things um have you had to make any sacrifices uh like big big sacrifices with the way you record them i I've looked at a lot of those videos and I don't think you're multi-tracking them. Um, but are there any like huge things where you go, mm, bummer, I can't do X, Y, and Z outside <laughs> Lots. out here? <laughs> Lots. I think, you know, if it was like a band band where you had like a drum kit and a bass player and a singer and da, 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 it would have, it would have just been a whole different, we wouldn't even have attempted doing a lot of that stuff. But um, with the brass band, it's actually funny. The first Jazz Mafia Tuesday live stream we did, um, the we do we were doing two sets. The first set after we did sound check, I I went in and like tried to make the audio sound even better, and I was listening, and I forgot to hit like something. I muted the 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 feed, and so um, the first set you were only hearing the iPhone. Um, and not like all these microphones that I had set up and all the UAD gear was running Oops. through. You know how many people noticed? Like two. <laughs> I think Joe Begale said he was like, yeah, something sounded weird. And, and our, our engineer who was watching from a home city sound. Most people are like, you know, they, no, they weren't saying it sounded great. But with a brass band, it was a brass band that, that was playing. It kind of mixes itself better than a lot of other bands. You know, like everything's yeah. acoustic. Everything's pretty loud. So that in that sense you can record with an iphone with a brass band and 
it, it's going to work okay. Um, and so that's kind of where we started. Um, and then I would throw from there, I th would throw a few extra little digital recorders up, like maybe an iPhone, uh, maybe another, a Zoom or something. But we weren't even bringing like a rig and recording with real microphones. It was just these little digital recorders and then you sync them up. You got to sync up the video anyway. So it's just like syncing up a few more audio sources, uh, do a quick mix, you know, like the, the mic that's kind of facing the trumpets. Well, cool. There's your trumpet section mic and the mic that's facing the, the tuba and the trombones or maybe the two. I put the tuba and the the bass drum next to each other. So like that one's kind of the beefy low end and very primitive, like ultra, ultra primitive. But we were that was kind of what we're going for with the, a brass band to begin with is like a raw sound. So it worked OK. And then we started having vocalists come through like like, you know, Sola T rapped on one of them or two of them, actually. And yeah, they're usually rappers. Um, and uh, we were like, well, let's see if he just raps really close to the camera. That's the microphone, like it's proximity. And so we did one like that and it was OK. And then we started thinking, oh, well, what if we take this little Zoom handheld or, you know, recorder? It's like basically like a handheld mic and the the vocalist just holds it up to, and they can move around. It's like a wireless mic kind of, but it's a, it's a recorder in itself. So just things you would never, ever, ever do, you know, like in a recording studio or even in a remote recording situation. But it's like, cool, it sounds all right. Let's do it. Right. Um, and then we got to the point where we were doing like the evolution of it, um, you asked about wind and stuff, and it reminded me of we recorded right before the fires happened, like like the big, big fires, like the day before. It, they were happening, and it was starting to get pretty smoky down here, like in San Francisco and Oakland, but it, it wasn't like stay inside yet. Um, and we were recording out by the Golden Gate Bridge down in the, um, the headlands in the lower part, and um, we brought – we brought a small rig, like a laptop rig with a UAD twin, and we had same thing, some digital mics around with windscreens, and then the vocal there was a singer, and so we really wanted to make sure to capture like the nuances. And so we had one handheld for her, and it's not monitored. She has no monitors or anything. And so we just, you know, it's all about balance. So we had to make sure in the arrangement, uh, to make sure that the band was, you know not overpowering the vocalist like we basically had to make sure we could hear her not like all the words but just you know it's like you gotta be able to hear it was Maria dickinson like as long as mm. you can hear her singing a little bit like that we're we're fine because otherwise if it's the band's overpowering like it's the bleed's gonna be crazy and whatever so that that was like the most high tech we got was like maybe that was maybe six channels of audio or something between sure you know a couple iPhones like our drummers put his iPhone right by the, his drum and we we're kind of getting it down uh, well no and the most developed one we did was this concrete violet project where we did um I think it was is at least sixteen tracks it might have been uh, closer to thirty tracks um, and it was a it was a twenty five piece group it was like a us you know a choir a bunch of horns a uh, eight piece string section or six piece string section blah, blah blah so that was kind of like but we we basically hired uh, our drummer who's an audio engineer runs studio we hired him to do that one so at that point it was more like a little more how a normal recording session would go <laughs> you know right right the thing that comes up to my mind uh, that i've been really curious about as you're talking about this is how do you 
sync all of this? How, how are you, are you slating it like old school slate or they're just, you know, play it by ear? We usually slate them, but I've done so much lining up, like most people who work in studios now, you've done so much lining up of disparate audio sources that it's, it's not that hard. You know, I mean, a song that even a song that starts with a whisper and there's no like attack there eventually in the song, unless it's all just like really, really ambient music, there's going to be some, you know, unison rhythm of some sort and drums are going to come in. And so, you know, you just line it up to that part. Um, and so, cause the other thing is with distance, you know, your mics are so far apart to, uh, you're going to have to kind of do that anyways sometimes like the uh, dist I forget the technical name for it but like the distance that the the room mics are from the drums if it's like a really big place you might want to do some time alignment anyway so it kind of it's stuff that we all dabble with in anyways it's more just like okay cool and a lot of times premiere and and um final cut like they don't auto line stuff up right so you got to do it yourself <laughs> good right. skills to have i guess not fun though no, I mean, it's, it's something that I've had to do. Um, I, I mean, I've, I've, this is probably the third time I've brought it up, but the, this was, this was the whole big thing that this was the big project of last week was, uh, editing half of Infinite's album because it was, you know, the half the tracks are six years old. It's a lot of different takes. They haven't had all of them consolidated and, you know, uh, some of the some of the tracks I had to place verses just by listening to headphone bleed, you know. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, how, do you have to rely on bleed much? Is that is that a thing for you, or is it more obvious than oh shit? Let me let me listen for trumpet bleed in this mic. Yeah, well, so it it's it, that's an interesting one because if it's a vocal where there's no reference, like there's no, it's, yeah, it's more like you can get it where, or even if there is a reference, you're like, okay, well, it's, I'm hearing it placed here. You know, it's like the beats here and he's rapping like, you could listen for a certain word. It's like, okay, that word he's saying on the downbeat. And so then you can base it off of that. But then there's the, how on, on top of the beat ahead behind is, are they rapping it? And, Usually I feel like I do a pretty good job of it because I've had some people do bad jobs of that with some of my stuff. And I know how painful that is to put all that time in phrasing your stuff the way you want it. And then you get the thing back and the engineer like sloppily just threw it in where they thought it sounded cool or something like, mm -hmm. oh, we need some more energy. So we're going to move the horns all ahead of the beat a little bit like, no, <laughs> what did you do? So, so I try to pay special attention to that. However, I have had people hit me up and say, "Hey, the mix sounds good. Um, the the placement on the vocals sounds a little bit off. Like, you know, check the demo again, whatever. It's it's just it's stuff to be. You know, you can be. It's you can't be too careful about that. But um, ultimately, it's it as long as it sounds good. Like I, one time I had someone place my horn, my trombone or my brat, it was like a whole arrangement for this song, uh, a beat off, a full beat off. And it went to ma master that way. And I didn't hear it. They didn't share it with me until it was out. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God. I was like devastated and embarrassed. And then I was like, well, 
you know, nothing I can do. They're not going to like pull the release, right? It's, it seemed like the end of the world to me. And in reality, it's like not at all a big deal. And I've since then, you know, I've gotten kind of to learn to like it a little bit. I would prefer it the way that it, that it, I meant it for it for a lot of obvious reasons. Like some of the harmony doesn't line up sometimes because of it. So there's like real, real things that make it like kind of not work in some ways. But it's like, well, the, the cats who were mixing it and all that, they they made the choice that they thought it sounded good that way. So you kind of have to like let it once it goes out of your hands in some way, people are going to make their own decisions. But I think it's a really good thing to have multiple sets of ears on. It's my long answer <laughs> to the question. It's like whenever, when in doubt with that kind of stuff, just like hit the vocalist up and I ask them, Hey, does this sound cool? Um, you know, like, let me know it's if, if you're not on a click and you don't have a slate, you don't have a, a zeroed out track, like, um, a lot of times I'll just be like, Hey, yeah, you need to send this to me again. You know, like in your that situation, like you didn't have that luxury cause it's an old thing, but right. But yeah, I know a lot of people that'll just be like, Hey, you need to zero out these tracks and send them, send them back to me. Cause they're not lining up. It's just like, I don't well, want to spend the 15, 20 minutes to, to fix it, to quote, fix it, but then find out that I didn't do it right. You know, that, that can suck. Well, yeah. I mean, the, that's that's kind of what happened to Carlos, and that's why I got involved with doing all the aligning. And so it, what we thought, what I thought might be, you know, probably four or five hours, maybe ten at the most, turned into nearly a seventeen-hour job because there was so much to work through, and there were the there were some reference tracks, but not all like the the reference tracks that omitted some things that were recorded either after the fact or weren't included or you know yeah stuff like that so it, it was funny i not only did i hit up hit him up a lot i, I actually ended up sitting on a, on zoom calls with him while i was doing it so i could be like is is this right yeah like, and that's I, that's what zoom is great for that you know when we can't be in the room because there, there's so, so many things like that can be solved like really quickly um but yeah these are just things that like especially hip-hop producers and people do a lot of stuff where people are sending the files it's just like an all in a day's work for them um so right. i try to just be like patient and think like okay every time i do this kind of frustrating mon and mundane task that could have been prevented every time i do it i'm getting better at it i'm learning something um from it and so it you know it's just part of what we do it's like you're we're choosing to to, to do this craft and it's that's kind of always going to be part of it there's always going to be people who are learning those first steps of how to zero out a track or slate a track or whatever and as long as we're doing this those people who are just coming into that part of it you know we're going to be dealing with them and it's like we were all there i was trying to think of that too we were all those people once too <laughs> right right well man I don't think I have any more questions. I appreciate you taking the time. It was a lot of fun catching up with you and uh, and and having you on. Yeah, man. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I was gonna say on that the wind wind question that I failed to ask twice. If you listen to the White Rabbit that we did with Morea at the Golden Gate Bridge, that's the one where you hear the wind the most, and I love it. <laughs> so it's just once again one of those things that's like it it's um it like lends to the experience of it. And if there was a way for me to use some crazy program to eliminate the wind sound or something, it would, it would have made it not as good of a track. I feel like, so you can give it a listen and see what you think. But, 
Um, but in all the outdoor stuff that we've done in the past, that past year is very few times when the actual elements of being outdoors and not in a studio or in a controlled, even our backyard is a more controlled environment. Uh, it very rarely ever like negatively impacted the sound, you know? So that was, it's pretty, pretty cool experience. I, I definitely am less freaked out about recording like wherever I like anywhere I'm, I'm down. <laughs> Driving myself, but to tell you the truth, my hands on the wheel are barely in use. Losing track of time, how am I gonna find the way back? Not sure what I'm headed towards. Haven't had it yet, I'm craving more. Ain't gonna find no peace until I. When I think of good workflow in the music industry, especially the local Bay Area music scene, I tend to think of Adam Keith. He's done so much in the music community and kind of evolved the way we all look at music in the Bay Area. Having him on was a real treat, especially since I've known him for a long time and the last gig I played was a gig we were both on. Adam, thank you so much for being on Ready to Record. I super appreciate you taking the time, and I hope we get to catch up some more soon. For all of you interested in checking out Adam's work, please look up Jazz Mafia and Cosa Nostra Strings. They just released an album, and Jazz Mafia has multiple projects going on all the time, especially now in the middle of a pandemic where they have really flourished and found a place to thrive. I would especially encourage you to listen to the track that is playing right now, a song called Moth by Jazz Mafia featuring Olivia Roth. It is a damn fine track and I've been playing on repeat for the last couple of days. So please go check it out and check out everything we do because Jazz Mafia is just us. Seeking satisfaction, oh Silly, you're stumbling me Can't get control of my feet, oh I think it is stronger than I Welcome to this special edition of Blue Girl Gear Talk and Music from Blue Girl. Today is our final installment on the AKG Podcaster Essentials Pack. Now, this pack has treated me very well, and I know for a fact that I will continue to use it in my day-to-day -day production work. For all of you interested in it, I can highly recommend. I will make one small note to all of you, though. If you are interested in this pack, I'd recommend getting a different USB Type-C cable than the one that comes with it. This mic sounds great, especially for the price. However, there have been times where I've run into trouble and experienced some static in my audio. I found the source of this static to be the cable that comes with the microphone. While this small issue may be isolated to my microphone and cable, given how inexpensive USB cables are, I figured it was worth noting, just in case. 
Today, though, we aren't focusing as much on the mic and headphones as we are the software that comes with this pack. Included with the AKG Podcaster Essentials Pack is a copy of Ableton Live Lite. For the track that you are about to hear, Miles Between, almost all of the instruments were recorded with this copy of Live Lite. However, in spite of my best efforts, I wasn't able to get the best mix I possibly could with the software and ended up going to my more familiar reason to mix. Even so, Ableton treated me very well, and some of the mix decisions I made in Ableton ended up in my reason session. Mind you, had I allowed myself more time to learn Live Light, I probably could have come up with some good sounds. The plugins are interesting, and the editing process is relatively intuitive. Actually, for those doing arranging with an Ableton, it's a breeze. For those of you who are doing a low track count hybrid music like something in the singer-songwriter genre, I would totally encourage you to check out this software. Just from my experience recording in it, it was surprisingly easy to pick up the layout and some of the keyboard shortcuts. Once you get to bigger track counts and heavier production, the full version of Ableton is going to be your best friend. In fact, had I not already had the idea to mix in Reason, I probably would have mixed in a full version of Ableton Live. Though, mixing in Reason allowed me to see another part of Ableton's workflow. Export. It is incredibly easy to export tracks for mixdown in other DAWs. This is great for a few reasons. For one, you aren't tied down to Ableton as your mix environment if you enjoy mixing in other software. This is common amongst many of my friends who are Ableton users, where they will do their full production, recording, and arrangement in Ableton, then bounce out to another DAW like Pro Tools or Logic for mixdown. Secondly, it means you can jump between platforms quickly. Let's say you do something that I do all the time, which is start a song in one DAW, then use another for additional sounds. Right now, on my song Moonlight, I have a mix going in Pro Tools and just started building some electronic elements in Reason to graft into the live instruments. For you guys, you could have some guitar and bass in Logic, then go into Ableton for drums and synths, then bounce out. Given my newfound appreciation of Ableton, I think this is something I will be doing in the future. Additionally, what this means is you are free to collaborate with whoever you want, no matter what software they use. The export process is incredibly simple, and it allows you to send tracks to whoever, wherever, without any frustration or need for having them get your DAW. Enough about Ableton, though. I know you're all here to listen to some music, and I won't keep you waiting. Here is the track Miles Between, recorded entirely with the AKG Podcaster Essentials Pack, with music written and performed by yours truly, lyrics by Billy Cohen, Rhodes Piano performed by my bandmate in Danger 8, Tiger Kochnig, and vocals performed by Pantheon Podcast's own Christian Swain. Enjoy.
That's the show, everyone. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed talking to all of you. Special major big thank you to Mr. Adam Thies for being on the show. Man, it was so good catching up with you, and I can't wait to catch up with you more soon and hopefully make some music one of these days. For all of you listening, what do you think of the track? I know it was fun for me to produce and record. It was an interesting challenge, recording with a USB microphone and recording drums with one microphone. I don't know when the last time I've done that is prior to recording this song. Let me know what you thought of the drum sound and every other sound. I know it was a lot of fun to record, and I can't wait to try something else like this again. Tune in next time. We're going to have Mr. Dusty Wakeman. He's the president of Mojave Audio and 
a very, very talented engineer in his own right. He's worked with a lot of really cool country artists. We're going to talk about that and much more on our episode next time. But for now, this is Daniel, the D3 Cohen, signing off from Blue Girl Productions Worldwide Headquarters and Studios right here in San Francisco, California. We're ready to record.